Once upon a time, women could not hold many of the jobs or positions within greater society that they can today. Journalist, scholar, athlete, world record holder, none of these are words you'd use to describe a woman prior to the 20th century. Thankfully, times are changing, and today you'll meet a woman who is all of these things and more. I'm your host, Meg, and this is The Valkyrie Project. Hello again, everyone. I'm your host, Meg. Welcome back to the Valkyrie Project podcast. I'm here today sitting down with someone I've been wanting to interview for a long time, Miss Jackie Fay. How's it going over there, Jackie? Uh, It's going great. For those that don't know, we're actually recording this interview on Skype because Jackie's out of the country uh, because her work, it takes her to different places in the world. You want to tell us a little bit about what you do? Um, So I'm a military journalist in Afghanistan, where I travel all over the country reporting on the train, advise, and assist mission out here. So um, I get to work with, you know, 41 countries that are out here um, working to support the Afghans. And then I also get to go out um, and see what the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces are doing to try to increase um, the security within their own country. Excellent. So it sounds like you get to do a pretty varied mix of things, like you have a, a variety of different opportunities to talk with really interesting people on a regular basis. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I talk to, yeah, just all sorts of people. I've done um, so many incredible things since I've been out here. I've gotten to fly um, with two Afghan pilots in the Afghan Air Force. So I got to fly in a C-208, which is um, kind of a little, um, it's like a Cessna kind of plane. And um, they use that to do airdrops out of. So I actually went on an airdrop training um, with them. And then I also got to fly the special operations force within Afghanistan. They call themselves, the the boots on the ground are called the commandos. And so the... Um, the aircraft that take around the commandos are usually from the special mission wing. So I got to fly in a MI-17 helicopter with the special mission wing as well on a um, training flight. Um, so pretty cool stuff. I mean, both times it was an Afghan pilot and a um, an American pilot. So they don't let me, you know, just go out with just an Afghan. But, but yeah, it was great. They did awesome. That's really cool, Jackie. Um Aviation is that military aviation is really near and dear to my heart. Once upon a time, I used to be a helicopter pilot. And uh, so it's really cool to hear about when people get to see up close and personal, like the cool stuff that they can do with uh, aviation in general, the capabilities and everything are just mind blowing. So you told me a few minutes ago that you had just gotten back from the gym and we're going to definitely cover some of the aspects of your training and, and, you know, what you prioritize in your fitness regime a little later on in the podcast, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do over there for fitness? So yeah, so over um, the past year, I was actually training to do an Ironman on every continent. So I did, um, I just finished in June, I became the first woman to do six Ironmans on six continents within one year. And for half of those, um, I was training from here in Afghanistan. And so as part of my training and to keep myself dedicated, I started teaching cycling classes 
on the military base where I live. So I teach, um, you know, other service members and other workers out here, as well as embassy, U.S. embassy personnel um, come to the spin classes. And so, um, and then we have additional classes. So I teach once a week, but then I also uh, go to the other classes that are taught out here. So it just, you know, keeps me, keeps me going. And then even though I'm, you know, done with my Ironman journey, I I still try to um, at least make it to the gym. I mean, I was doing two hours pretty much every day, but now I've um, really cut back to just about three times a week for only an hour a day. So it's really nice to only work out about three hours a week. It's nice when like the goal, the end state goal has been met and you can just chill a little bit. But yes, yeah, it's really cool to be it's really cool for me to have this opportunity um you know with the listenership i have at the moment to i mean no big deal talking with a world record holder from the other side of the world is a cool thing but you know it's a unique perspective in in addition to that because you know you're not military but you do work really closely with people that you know we try to support through the valkyrie project so with that said Uh, yeah what Oh, no, no. I've always had a lot of respect for women in the military. You know, even though I've never been in the military, it's, you know, I have a very similar, you know, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm in the military, <laughs> um, you know, because I live on a on a, um, on a a military base and I travel around with the military. And another one of the stories I got to do out here, I actually went um, with a military unit um, and I went and I, I lived on a Afghan National Army combat out, outpost for 11 days. Um, and that oh, was, wow. uh, and, you know, these were all um, infantry guys. There were only about three women and um, I was one of them. And so, and I was there for 11 days, you know, only eight MREs, um, well, mixed between MREs and Afghan food, but I got the, oh, um, gosh. the full. I am so sorry for MREs. <laughs> <laughs> go on, go on. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so for me, it was just 11 days, and then I, you know, got to come back to, to you know, where I live in Kabul, which is, um, is a lot more, uh, you know, there's a lot better amenities. But, you know, I definitely was in there and, uh, and did it for, you know, even though it was only for a week and a half. <laughs> That's really cool. What did you find was the most compelling aspect of getting out to go do that visit? Like, did you, did it open your eyes to anything in particular or was it more like a confirmation of what you had learned up to this point in, in being there? You know, I, I got to see the Afghans that were going out on an operation, like literally as they were going out the gate on a ground movement. Um, and I was doing interviews, um, you know, through my translator um, as they're leaving to um, they were trying to open up this roadway that hadn't been no troops, Afghan or coalition had attempted to clear this road for six years and so oh, wow. um, it was very dangerous, uh, completely scattered with, um, you know, a lot of roadside bombs and, um, and where it was, it was kind of in a valley. Um, and so it had, you know, mountains on both side sides, which, um, you know, is key, um, hiding terrain for, um, you know, the Taliban or anyone that wants to shoot down at their convoy. Um, but they made it uh, and were, they were able to clear this road in Zabal province. Um, 
And it was just really cool that I got to see them, you know, as they were leaving. And then um, I actually left bef- um, before they came back. But um, but I was in, in contact with the provincial governor and he, you know, wrote me and he sent me pictures, you know, saying that they had made it back and um, had a very successful operation. That's awesome. Yeah, it's good it to hear cool. there are good things <laughs> happening there. So speaking of interviews, I'm curious to know what it was like to have an interview on the Today Show. Was that totally mind-boggling? Or (laughs) as a person who always gives interviews, now you're being interviewed a lot based on these cool things that you've done. So what was that like? So it it was really crazy because, well, first of all, I was exhausted. So, um... You know, like I said, I had um, done six Ironmans on six continents within one year. So my last one, I had planned it out to where I'd finish in the United States. And so I did my last one in Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, first of all, I was flying from Afghanistan with my bicycle. And then I competed in Ironman. And then the very next day, you know, I was on a plane to New York City so that I could be um, on the Today Show that Tuesday. So the race was on I mean, I think I got to Colorado on Thursday, did a 140.6 mile race on Sunday, flew on Monday and was, you know, sitting down with Megan Kelly on Tuesday. So I was really sick. <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> oh, I bet your immune system was just completely zapped after that. I was, um, so I'm like drinking hot tea, like all morning. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to sound horrible. Oh. Like, I was, the, <laughs> and so, but after the interview, um, you know, first of all, Megan Kelly was great. She made me feel um, super comfortable. And, you know, because I had worked in TV, I wasn't really nervous about, um, you know, going on TV or anything like that. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I was able to um, get all my um, my points across. Um, because, you know, the reason I was doing um, the Ironmans was, uh, was really to to launch um, my nonprofit, which is called She Can Try, which is all about um, advocating um, for women and encouraging women to go into male-dominated career fields. And so I just wanted to make sure that the real message wasn't lost, because while it was really cool that I, um, you know, got, became the first woman to accomplish something, um, it wasn't um, I, it was, I really did it only to bring attention to this much larger issue that was much closer to my heart. Yeah, I gotcha. And I can totally understand that perspective, too. I'm a big fan of, I'm sure you've heard of him, an author called Simon Sinek, the author of yeah. Start With Why. Um, yeah. I think it's so important anytime you're trying to launch a brand or a business or an organization or anything of the like that... Um, in addition to just making sure that the work that you're doing means something and is a, is a greater uh, outcome for the world, that it also, you know, it, it tends to really stick close to the heart of people that you're looking to engage when there's when there's more profound meaning behind it. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I am still there's still so much work that I'm um, doing with that. So um, it was funny because everyone, you know, while the physical um, aspect uh, you know, because right when I crossed the finish line, there was cameras and everyone's like, oh, you're done. You know, congratulations. But really, all I could think of was, oh, my God, I still have so much work to do. <laughs> like, even I just finished that huge accomplishment, I was um, I just felt I had um, so much more to do. I had a mental image of you just now panting across the finish line. Like, Go check out my website. It's really great. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Exactly. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, and um, one of the, you know, speaking of, you know, because of in my work um, with the military and, you know, I'm, I am constantly, you know, in the minority being a woman um, out here in um, Afghanistan, um, you know, working, I mean, I'm just, you know, whether I go to eat dinner or whether I'm at the gym or whether I'm in the office or a meeting, you know, I'm always either the only woman or one of two, um, you know, I'm, I'm just used to being the Lone Ranger, right? But so I wanted to show, you know, some sort of symbolization um, that women, you know, are serving our country. Um, and so for the uh, last 1.68 miles of my final Ironman, I ran it wearing my 20-pound um, bulletproof vest um, to honor the 168 U.S. service women who have died in Iraq and Afghanistan serving our country. Because I think, I, I just think a lot of times that we forget that women are also, um, you know, out here fighting for, you know, for everyone's freedom back home. And uh, yeah, we certainly deserve equality. I really appreciate that about, um, you know, just not only your commitment to represent, you know, my tribe specifically, you know, that I'm part of that cohort, more or less. Um, granted, I'm not deployed at the moment, but um, I, I can certainly speak to and, you know, understand the oddity of being always in the mi minority. Um, and I've, I've been lucky up to this point in my career where it's never been something that was particularly detrimental. I think I've been fortunate in that aspect, just based on the fact like, I've always had coworkers that were really amazing people that I could relate to pretty easily. So I never really felt like I, you know, was an outsider in any way. But every once in a while, I'd say maybe once every six months, I'm in, you know, a group setting with coworkers. And I look around and I'm like, there's like 300 dudes in here <laughs> and one yeah. me. So it's an interesting phenomenon. And it's funny to see how over the last number of years that I've just kind of slipped into this is normal, you know, and I wouldn't say there's anything necessarily wrong with that, except that there's a lot of female talent out there that I've, I'd love to see represented in the ranks a little more. Yeah, I'd say um, I've had, I'd say the large majority of my experiences have been positive. Um, I've certainly had my fair share of negative experiences. That's not the majority, um, but they do sting a little bit more, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, yep. and that was certainly um, the impetus of why I wanted to see more women go into these male-dominated career fields, whether that was the military or technology or business or, you know, whether a woman wanted to become whether she wants to become an astronaut or, you know, wants to be on Wall Street, um, mm -hmm. I wanted her to know she could, even though she's going to be in the minority. But I think um, the key is showing women mentors before they enter the workforce, because, you know, unless you see it, you might not think you can be it, right? If you've never seen a woman helicopter pilot, then as a little girl, you might not ever think to become a helicopter pilot, you know, or if you've never seen a woman surgeon, um, you might not think to become a surgeon as an adult. And so, and, and by the time you've 
picked your mate, you know, these career fields, you really have to start early. And so um, she can try. We're going into high schools and we're presenting uh, women who have gone into these career fields, have been successful, and to show these young girls, you know, they can do this too. You know, I'm from a very small town personally in South Carolina. It's not like I came from. Oh my gosh, you know, really? And, yeah, I'm from a not super small this out town. Sooner. Which one? Uh, okay, Which yeah, one? you told me you're from South Carolina, right? Yeah, where are you so from? So I'm from Wahala, South Carolina. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. I grew up in Charleston, so okay. not far. Yeah, so not so far. on the up, on the opposite end of the state, but um but you know, I'm from a a town where there, there was definitely a lot of pressure to you know, I mean, I still got pressure even as an adult from from my dad, you know, to get married and to settle down and you know, personally, you know, even within my own family, you know, it didn't matter that I had a degree from Columbia that I paid for by myself. It didn't matter that I had a world record. It didn't matter that I was accomplishing all these great things. They would have been happy if I had just settled down and stayed at home. And for me, that was just the worst sounding thing ever. But, you know, I just, I didn't listen to them, you know, and I, yeah, I wanted to stay on and I, and I want other young girls to, you know, because there is pressure from your family and from society, um, especially in places, you know, like the Deep South. Um, I think it's changing. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, even from when, you know, I'm about to turn 33. Um, so I think it's definitely, you know, for the high school students now, I think that they have even more opportunities than when, you know, we were in high school. But um, certainly a lot of more work to still be done. Sure. And I'm starting to think a little bit that maybe we're spirit animals because I'm about to turn 33, too, and it's just getting weird. But anyway, um, so talk about age later. Yeah, I can certainly understand, you know, that perspective. And I think, um, you know, I've had a slightly different journey. Maybe my family didn't pressure me in any particular direction per se. But, you know, something that I kind of discovered as the years went on about myself is that, you know, as a young child, I was very much inclined to stay indoors and color and not go outside and take risks and get dirty and do physical activity. Uh, And my parents, you know, were pretty nurturing as far as, you know, whatever you're interested in, do it. That's fine. Um, But I often, you know, wonder if I had had some other examples to see, you know, like friends of mine maybe that were playing on different athletic teams and stuff earlier on to say, hey, I want to go out for soccer. I want to go out for gymnastics and just sort of learn what it meant to be courageous and take risks at a younger age, you know, if my life would have turned out any differently. Not that I would have changed anything, but I kind of accidentally stumbled upon track and cross country in high school because I wanted to make friends. And then I was like, oh, wow, you know, there's there's something to this, you know, putting in the hard work and, you know, enduring, you know, the physical pain and the struggle. And that one particular thing was the impetus for later on discovering, um, other fitness journey aspects like CrossFit and coaching and and eventually later saying, hey, you know, maybe I can put on a uniform and go do this job in the military. So it was all it was all because, you know, just in one moment, I discovered that I'm a lot more capable than I ever realized. And so I think that when you bring up the point about mentorship, that's so, so, so important. You have to see that example before it becomes a reality for you. And that's a big piece also of why, you know, the Valkyrie Project not to do the plug thing, but why we're trying to, you know, create a community of mentors for these women to come into, you know, the Facebook forum and to have access to a woman that has that particular job that 
she was interested in but didn't realize was a thing, you know, especially since 2016, when all MOSs, all jobs and all schools became available to women. There are female infantry officers out there right now with their ranger tab and their female armor officers with their sapper tab. Um, I'm sure here any day now we're going to hear about the first Green Beret female, um, but she will, whoever she is, probably argue bitterly that she doesn't want her face on the news because she just wants to do her job like everybody else. But those examples are so important because it gives the rest of us a glimpse of what could be. Yeah, exactly. And someone has to be first, but certainly there's there probably a lot of pressure on, um, you know, the women that are that are the first. Oh, um, yeah. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. Yeah. I think any, if you look through, you know, history, any woman that has been the first at doing anything is, is they don't want to be the last, right? They want to show, hey, oh, I did certainly. this. So, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's really the goal is, um, is if you, you know, if you are constantly told you can't do this, then over time, you, you start to internalize that and you believe it. And if you've never seen anyone else that looks like you do that, then you're like, you know, I can't do this. But if someone believes in you and says, Hey, I did this. So can you, and you raise those expectations just a little bit, then, then those expectations will become a reality. And, you know, Mm -hmm. man or woman, you will meet those expectations. It's a really exciting prospect. I'm really, I know, I guess it feels like we're poised on the edge of a sort of a new, I I don't want to say like a new world order per se, but, you know, so many doors are opening in so many places that it's, it's exciting to think that maybe someday when I have kids, uh, you know, that if I have daughters, they'll, there'll be other things that they feel they have access to. And I, I don't think I could ask for more as a mother, you know, to have happy, healthy kids that feel like they can do what they want with life. And, and with that said, too, uh, another point I wanted to bring up previous was that, um, you know, I wouldn't want any of our listeners to think that because, you know, myself or Jackie, you don't have like kids yet per se, or, you know, we don't have certain choices that we picked that, you know, that's the ideal or, you know, I think that the main port- important point to notice is, you know, we want every woman to have the opportunity to do what she wants. And if what you want is a career, then that's great. And if what you want is kids, that's great, too. And if what you want is to be the world's primary expert underwater basket weaver, whatever the case may be, open all the doors. Exactly. And, you know, in my own journey, um, you know, and promoting, you know, women being able to go into these different paths, of course, I've had my fair share of haters. And, you know, I can think of this one specific troll um, on my social media. And every time I would post something about she can try, he would post something below it. And he would say, you know, well, of the um, past three flights I've taken for business, two of the pilots were women, you know, or women are earning, you know, 50% of medical degrees today. Like he acted like, acted like there was no sexism. And, um, just because he could state, you know, some statistics that were in our favor, but that's not the reality. And I I wanted to say, well, actually, have you looked at the aviation numbers? Because it's like, Mm -hmm. I think it's 6% of pilot licenses through the FAA. I could be citing that wrong, but it's definitely less than 10%. I know is correct is, you know, are women. And so I was like, well, that's really statistically ironic that, you know, if, 
two of the <laughs> pilots of your last three flights were women, that, you know, is not the norm. And even though 50% of medical degrees are going to women, that doesn't mean that every single medical profession is treated equal. Or, or why are there still not women at leadership within hospitals? And why are there still not leaders, you know, within, yes, there are women that are going into the military. Yes, there are, you know, women that are going to politics, but the numbers are still really, really skewed. I mean, don't you think that if we had 50% of women in our Congress, that, you know, we would have things like um, paid parental leave would be, you know, required by all companies and our interest would be, um, you know, largely um, much more part of the debate um, if we were represented in all these areas of society. Um, and I guess the bottom line is, is I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like, why this guy that was commenting on my social media, I'm like, why does it bother you so much that I want to go in and tell little girls that they can do whatever they want. I'm like, why does that bother you? Why, you know, <laughs> options are never a bad thing, right? All I'm yeah. d- doing is trying to tell little girls their options and young women their options. And that can never be a bad thing. If they don't, I'm not forcing them to take those options, but certainly mm-hmm. you, they won't even know whether to take that option if they don't know it is one, right? And so, sure. um, but I do believe that, you know, do I think that we raise boys and girls differently in this country? Um, Absolutely. Do I think that the messages that boys and girls receive in this country are different? Absolutely. And do I think if we tried to change those messages a little bit, do I think we could get a better, you know, outcome? Yes, I do. And I think it'd be for the betterment of all society. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, still in the early stages of this whole Valkyrie project thing. And I've yet to encounter my first social media troll. And I'm sure when it happens, it's going to be like, ah, I saw this coming a mile away and we'll have to handle it accordingly. But uh, yeah, I blocked it. So blocking is always a very good option. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get accustomed to using that tool. Um, yeah. I And, you know, I, I feel like too, looking at sort of the human psychology aspect of it and social psychology aspect of it. I think when people start up organizations like the Valkyrie Project or She Can Try or things similar, you know, whether it's started by men or women, often it's based on a very personal set of experiences where, you know, I walk through life with the Meg lens on because that's that's the lens I have. And, you know, I've, I grew up with a certain set of conditions and the way things were for me. Um, and the way that I've always seen it is because your lens is different from mine, you know, your being anyone out there doesn't necessarily make me right and you wrong or vice versa. However, your lens is valid and so is mine. Uh, and I think that a big piece of progress in moving society forward and filling those jobs with more women and more people that are just good for the job you know, not people that necessarily fit a certain profile of, you know, how they look and act, but a person that's right for the job, male or female or otherwise, um, it's a matter of having the conversation. And it's a frustrating thing when you encounter people who don't want to hear. They just, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those scenarios where you have a person who's just waiting for their opportunity to jump in and say why you're wrong, as opposed to maybe letting it sink in and say, you know, this could be a good thing. Um, and, you know, I've, I've always had the concern since we started the VP thing about, you know, I wouldn't want to ever 
create the perception that I was trying to be divisive or make, you know, women appear more special than men or say that, you know, well, you guys are wrong because you're men and you've always dominated the military. It's just kind of a historical thing. But I've also been really encouraged to come across the men who are saying, this is very needed and I want to help right now. How can I help? And so that's been a really refreshing thing for me. Like we started... We launched our online store a couple weeks ago, and almost immediately, some guy I'd never met before from across the country was like, I want a shirt and a hat right now, because what I think you guys are doing is awesome. And, you know, it's like, I believe he was a previous uh, Green Beret, but it's it's nice to know there's a support to counterbalance, you know, the trolls out there, men and women alike. Yeah, so. largely, I feel I've gotten um, support. Um, but awesome. yeah, there's always, you know, there's always going to be haters. Um, but uh, I'm not going to stop because of them. <laughs> no, ma'am. You keep going. How many? So here's a question for you. Have you? I'm sure you've sat down and done the math. Like, what is the grand total mileage you've covered in just those six triathlons alone? And this is I, I'm confessing my own ignorance right now because I'm not a triathlete and I don't know how many miles one would cover in in a triathlon. But how many yeah, miles is so- it between six? So an Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim followed by a 112 mile bike followed by a 26.2 mile run. So I did six within a year. So um, that'd be a total of 843.6 miles. Oh my (laughs) Lord. Girl, you ran, so I never knew this, so you you basically ran six marathons plus all that other mile, like 100 miles on the bike, and oh my gosh, I can't even, my mind is blown right now. That's amazing. Good for you. So here's, here's an interesting segue, too, with that said, with all that mileage you covered, I can't imagine what your training routine must have been like. Like, what did that look so, like for you every day, training up? So I, um... I usually stay and, um, you know, right now, um, I'm only working out about three hours a week cause I'm taking a break, um, before I, I might get back into doing Ironmans in 2019, but I really, um, you know, I want my body to last, um, for as long as possible. So I think a lot of people overtrain when they're training for these endurance events. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for me, you know, I would run occasionally, like I'd run, you know, once, uh, or twice a week. But, um, you know, some people that train for these endurance events run all the time. Um, I found it much more effective to do, um, high intensity interval training in place. So I would, and because I was also on a time crunch, you know, I have a full-time job and I travel and I don't always Mm -hmm. have access to the best equipment. So I really came up with a training, um, schedule that I could do from anywhere. So I would do you know, mountain climbers or high knees or things that are a lot harder than running. You know, if you try to do squat jumps for uh, five minutes, that's much harder than running um, a mile, you know. So, um, so mm-hmm. I would do that. I, I found um, it to be, I would get done with my workout faster um, and I had better results. Um, and then, you know, cycling, I, I love cycling. So I would, um, you know, always cycle indoors, which I also think is harder than cycling outside because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're cycling outside, um, you have breaks, you have downhills and you can coast. But when you're cycling indoors, you are working the entire time. Right. And so, um, 
And then I would swim occasionally or for, to make sure that I was ready for the swim. I would just lift weights. I always feel like as long as your shoulders are strong, then, um, then you'll be able to make it through. Cause it was really, you know, really all shoulders and arms. I'm um, getting through that swim for me anyway. Gotcha. Well, it's good to know. Um, it, it sounds like you know, from my limited experience with endurance uh, events exclusively, I've mainly been a functional fitness type person for the last decade. But um, it sounds like, you know, the best practices that you're that you're sharing with everybody are just we need to continue to reinforce those, I think, as VP goes forward, uh, especially with our tactical training program, because there's a misconception across so many different facets of fitness, whether that's military or civilian, or if you're a particular training for a particular event, or just, you know, trying to stay in shape in general, that, you know, you have the more you train, the better. And that's not always the case. I feel like uh, there's also a lot to be said for maintaining your joints, like you said. And I think we even said in the first podcast with our programmer, Chris McNamara, that this is the one and only body you get for the rest of your life. And to drive it into the ground training uh, is not the optimal way to get the most out of what you want to do. And in addition to that, that you can train in other ways to be prepared for a particular event, still supporting what you want to do, but without, you know, pounding the ground for hundreds of miles. I was really surprised, actually, when I first started working with my coach, Chris, a couple years back that I could do nothing but interval training on the rower and the airdyne bike and little supplementary strength work but still, you know, do really well on a 12 mile ruck march. And it was because my knees and hips were healthy. So yeah, it's good exactly. stuff. Um, yeah, you don't want to um, overtrain. And I would and, and listen to your body. And you, well, because for me, when I did the first Ironman, uh, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. And then, you know, when I did the second one, it wasn't that big of a deal. But if I had, let's say when I got to number four, if I didn't finish Ironman number four, I didn't just have to do that Ironman over again, I would have had to start back at square one. And in my order, there was only one Ironman in Africa, right? So I had one shot to get it done. So I had to make sure my body was 100% when I got to the starting line, you know, or I knew I wasn't going to make it to that finish line. So if Mm -hmm. I needed to, you know, if I had any pain, you know, I'd I'd foam roll a lot or I'd get a massage or I would take days off if, if I felt any sort of pain because I knew that I would do a much better job um, if I just let myself rest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely, I could not agree more with that statement. Ladies, those of you out there overtraining, just be nice to your body. Don't do it. Get some sleep. Get a massage. All the good things. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to visualize in my head, like, Jackie bouncing from continent to continent over the course of a year doing all these amazing Ironman things. Which which event was the most difficult for you and why? So um, if there's one know, that stands no, out, you know. Yeah, yeah no, no Ironman is um, is the same as another. And so that's the beauty of of Ironman is is not only is it three different disciplines, but you also have to deal with different elements based on location. You know, some of the swims are in a lake. Some of the swims are in the ocean with jellyfish and sharks. And, mm. um, oh. you know, sometimes. Oh, no. Um, the, no, thank you. Yes. Sometimes <laughs> the bike um, is flat and sometimes it's hilly. Um, and, you know, so I would say 
you know, I, in Australia, I always say that the swim was the hardest in Australia. It was super, super rocky. Like I, I got a face full of water a couple of times, um, you know, and salt water. I don't know if you ever like, you know, breathed in salt water. It kind of takes a second to catch your breath. Um, and then, you know, the, the bike ride in Argentina was super tough, not because of, um, hills, but it was so windy. So, uh, oh, pretty wow. much for say, uh, 80% of the 112 mile bike ride, I had a headwind, you know, coming straight at me. Um, and then, um, but all in all, the hardest Ironman was Taiwan. It was so hot. It was, you know, 90 degrees at the um, peak of the day and it was 80% humidity. So it made it feel like it was 120 plus degrees. Um, and so on the bike, I stopped, um, I, I didn't want to get dehydrated and, um, because, you know, once you get dehydrated, you start cramping and it's really just downhill. And so right, I, right. um, I was like, you know, stop. And I made sure I drank like a, a complete bottle every, you know, 10 kilometers or so. Um, and, um, I'd stop at rest break and I would dump a bucket of water. They had these big buckets of water and I would dump a bucket of water over my head just to cool my body temperature off. But then my feet got soaking wet and, um, I didn't oh, think man. about what impact they got the run, yeah. but they got, so by the time I got to the run, my feet had been wet for six hours. Um, and so they were, they just, if you've ever seen like a, you know, like when you put your hands in water and they turn to like prunes, essentially what it was like. But, um, so the whole uh, marathon, it literally felt someone was punching me in the bottom of my foot, like every single step from the very beginning, you know? And so, um, but that's also what was so beautiful about it is because I knew it sucked for me, but I looked around there were a lot of other people going through the exact same thing. And so, you know, we were all in it together. And, you know, when you're doing Ironmans, you see all sorts of ages. You see people of all different races and backgrounds. And you're all out there doing it through no matter what elements there are. So that's incredible. And it's a, a similar, you know, a similar sense of camaraderie. I think that we've seen a lot of different military profiles, whether it's like getting through a mission or a school or a training event, like this, this might be the lowest of the low I've felt in my life, but I'm not going through it alone. And that I think really, in a lot of ways, creates a foundation for those lifelong friendships where you, you know, bump into someone 10 years later and make eye contact. And you just know, like, remember that time we went through that together. That's really cool. So, I'm interested to hear, with such a large volume of hours put in, the work put in, knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable and difficult in, in a number of different situations, I mean, even in ideal conditions with weather and terrain and all that stuff, and Ironman is not easy, where do you pull your motivation and your commitment from? Is that something that you've always had? Was it something that you had to build on progressively? Or was there just a moment where you rolled out of bed one morning and you were like, I have to do this and there is no other option? Um, I mean, I, yeah. Can it be a combination no. of all three? 
No, I mean, there was no other option. Um, even if I uh, had failed, I was going to try again. Um, so uh, success was the was the only option. Um, and because, and again, only because I so wanted to show women um, that you can do anything you put your mind to. Um, so I wanted to show, you know, for me to go into high school in the United States and and tell young girls, hey, he's, you know, career paths that are dominated by men that may not be um, always, you know, I think they're career options. Um, at times there's going to be difficulties, right? And mm-hmm. so for me to say, you know, that the difficult times are with it, I wanted to do something to show that I was also willing to push boundaries and, and, and endure a little pain, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, so that's what I did. Awesome. So guys, unfortunately, at this point in the podcast, we experienced some technical difficulties. While we were recording via the Skype conversation, everything sounded good and audible. But later on, when we went to edit the podcast, we realized that some bits of uh, Jackie's responses got cut out, unfortunately. So as we're coming to the close of this podcast, I just wanted to reiterate a couple notes that she'd made and uh, make sure you guys got the the full question and answer that we did while we were talking. So following the last question I asked, Jackie essentially replied that she didn't feel comfortable inviting young women and girls to challenge themselves to enter these different realms that were previously not, you know, available to them or less uh, known about without herself being put in a difficult position where she would have to go through you know, a combination of a physical and mental trial in the form of these Ironmans. And she also knew that she had to persevere to complete all six on each continent within that year, because as she'd said previously, to not complete one would mean having to start all over again the next year. And so that was the, the true motivation behind her continuing to go on. And actually, The next question I asked, you know, imagining myself in those long endurance events, I said to Jackie, well, how on earth did you keep your mind occupied during those times? Because although I've never done something that is anywhere near the mileage of an Ironman, you know, when you've got several hours to spend during an endurance event, it's sometimes maddening trying to find something to do with your mind. Some people are happy to let their minds wander. Others can't really continue to perform well without some music or some kind of distraction. For me personally, it's a little bit weird, but I actually keep a pace count so that I can continue to, you know, okay, every X number of steps, I've completed another thousand meters. And that allows me to kind of know where I am in the race and give myself a mental task so I don't go crazy thinking about how much I have left. But um, to that, you know, when I asked Jackie, how did you keep your mind occupied and sort of tick down the miles and just stay motivated during that Ironman, all of them really, her response was, you know, when asked, what do you, what did you think about? She thought mainly about all the people that had told her she couldn't do X, Y, or Z, or that she wouldn't ever be able to reach particular goals. Um, In fact, she commented that she sometimes imagined uh, running those people over with her bicycle, which I thought was pretty funny. So... Thank you, Jackie, so much for being so open and willing to provide that insight for us, um, especially those of us that have a vested interest in seeing women and girls progress and a vested interest in 
providing really that good example so that everyone has better opportunities in the future. Um, We certainly appreciate that. We certainly appreciate everything that you're doing with She Can Try. Uh, And here at the Valkyrie Project, we certainly support everything that you're doing. So thank you again. So for our listeners, make sure to check out shecantry.org, which is the website where you can find information on how to support Jackie's organization, which again goes into schools for elementary and high school age children to provide opportunities with these young girls and women to interact with women that have achieved or have successfully entered into jobs that are generally dominated by men. And so that's what Jackie's organization does. So make sure you check that out. And as always, you can reach us at ValkyrieProjectUS.com. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your shout outs, your stories. We want to hear your suggestions about what future podcasts you'd like to hear. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook as Valkyrie Project US. So make sure to like and follow those pages. Do today what others won't. Do tomorrow what others can't. Thanks for listening.